This is not connected. We did not know this was going to happen. And we we're going to have these baptisms, and then we're going to roll into our, our topic this morning. But, but as we do that, I, I want to start by just looking at this bottle of water. I've taken off the advertisement here, so you don't know who's supporting us this morning as, uh, as we preach. But think about what's in this, this bottle right here. Um, it's water, right? H2O is in here. But here's what we know. Even though it's just water, it's powerful. Uh, it, it's helpful. It's wet. Uh, it's important. I mean, we use water for all kinds of different things. We use it to clean. We use it to eat. Uh, we use it for food. We use it for electricity. We use it for transportation. We use it for emergency purposes. I mean, water is, is so important in our lives. In fact, our world is made up of 70% water. Our bodies are made up of over half of our body is made up of, of water. And so that tells us that, that water is important to our existence in life. Today we do start this brand new series called H2O, and uh, it's all about water. And so if you think about scripture for a moment, there are a, a boatload, pun intended, a boatload of stories about water within scripture. And in fact, we're introduced to water at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 1, here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is our first introduction to water. And from that point forward, as we look at stories and events that take place in Scripture, we see the importance of water. We see it with Noah. We see it with Moses and Joshua and Jonah. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. But it also is important when it comes to the life of Jesus. And so over the next five weeks, as we go into our Easter time, we're going to look at five stories about Jesus that are connected to water and the power of water within those stories, what we learn from, from water being present within those stories. Our very first story we're going to look at is the very first instance we have of Jesus with water. It's Jesus' baptism. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3 is where we're going to spend our first bit of our time today. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Feel free to use those. Uh, we'll put it up here on the screen. If you have your Journey Church app, you can follow along with the notes there. Uh, if you've got your program, you can take notes there this morning. But here's what it says. Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, for many of us, we see that word baptism right there, to be, to be baptized. And our first thought is, this is something brand new. I mean, John's just adding this to this culture, but that's not actually the case. Uh, baptism was a part of Jewish culture even before this time. Uh, baptism for them had two possible, or two things that they would do. One, it was used for cleansing. So if you were unclean in some way, shape, or form based on Jewish law, you would actually go and baptize yourself in a body of water. But it was also used to belong. And so what they would say is, hey, if you're not Jewish, but you want to become Jewish, the step that you've got to take is you've got to be baptized. Now, the Jewish people thought, we're good. We're God's chosen people. We're special. We don't need to do this. But you, you're dirty. You're unclean. If you want to come into this particular body of people, the step that you have to take is that you have to be baptized. And so they were using it to say, this is how you belong to the Jewish faith. John comes around. Now, John's known as John the Baptist because he baptized people. John comes around, and John's like, no, 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 no. This isn't about belonging to something. This is about, not about cleansing yourself if you're unclean. He said, this is about the forgiveness of sins. He said, Jewish people, you're not healthy either. 
right? You're unclean. You're far from God. And he said your step to show that you're connected to God and you're fully following God is that you need to take the step of of baptism. And so John is all of a sudden baptizing all of these people for that purpose. What we find is there's sort of this national movement that's happening where the Jewish people are saying, you're right, we're not perfect. We are messy. We are far from God. And so you find these people that are starting to begin to believe this and move in that direction, and John is out there baptizing them. But Jesus shows up on this particular day, and it says that he went there to be baptized by John. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we look at Jesus and we say, but Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. I mean, why would Jesus need to take this step? Even John's wondering this. Look at verse 14. It says, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John the Baptist, he's confused. He's like, well, this isn't the way this works, which is funny to me because Jesus shows up. John sees Jesus, and his first thought is, why are you asking me to do this? Because you're perfect. You're not like the rest of us. And so John has this confusion as Jesus walks in and says, hey, I need you to baptize me. Look at verse 15. Here's Jesus' response. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Why would Jesus take this step? Well, first, he actually wants to identify himself or wants to identify himself with everybody else. He's saying, I'm human like you, and and I'm here to save humanity, but, but I want to show you what this looks like. And so in this moment, even though Jesus doesn't need to take this step, he's saying, I, I'm not better than you. I, I'm like you in, in many ways. In many ways, of course, he's not. But I'm human like you, and I want to show you what this looks like. But it was also the beginning of his ministry. We find this is the point where he says, hey, it's time for me to go to work. Because up to that point in time, he had just been Mary's son, maybe Joseph's son. Of course, there was a... And then as you watch his life, he's basically a carpenter for, for the next few years of his life. And now he, here he is at 30 years old, and now it's time for him to start his ministry. And so here we have this moment where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm like you, and I want to show you what this looks like to take this step. But at the same time, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then we read this in verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus takes this step. He's baptized by John. He comes out of the water, and then all of a sudden, this this spirit-like dove comes and, and kind of lands on Jesus. If you see that, what this dove represents, this spirit looking thing, it means new life. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, the, the connection there is at the very beginning of time, we, we find that the Spirit is hovering over the waters, right? Now, back in the day, they didn't have helicopters, so there wasn't really anything to hover like that. We're probably talking about a, a bird-type form is what we're thinking as we, as we visualize that. And so we have this Spirit that's hovering. It was the beginning of this new creation, new life, that this world was going to be populated with, with animals and plants and people. I mean, here you have new creation Right here we see the same kind of thing happening, except it's a different kind of of new life. This is a spiritual new life. And this dove, the spirit, is connected to this creation of brand new life. And it's a symbol of that taking place. 
if we look at Jesus' baptism and what it's all about, it's all about bringing new life and this example that we have of what that looks like. And so over the next few moments, I want to talk about baptism. Now, I know baptism is a touchy subject for some of us uh, based on our past experiences. Uh, It's a touchy subject for us because of what you heard or you learned growing up. For others of us, it just seems really weird, right, Uh, what we, we do but, but I truly believe that baptism is the spiritual new life that we, we get when we take that step. And, and we see that here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now the question is, what is baptism? What is baptism? I've talked before about Fairfax County. And uh, I've said 60% of the people who live here are part of the nuns, which means they're non-religious. Uh, have no religious connection whatsoever, any type of faith. Like, hey, we're done with faith. Uh, probably about 35 to 30, or excuse me, 25 to 29 percent above that. Part of churches or organizations are religious backgrounds that have no connection really to Christ. So there's a very few people who, who here in Fairfax County who say, hey, Jesus is, I'm all in for, I'm following Christ. Before we came here, we planted a church in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It was way farther away from Christ and God uh, than anything around here. Uh, very wealthy and very intelligent, knew everything, and, uh, and so that kind of played into this mentality that so many people had. And, and so as Christians in this environment, uh, we were trying to impact it, but at the same time, you know, we weren't trying to bring attention to ourselves either. My wife Kara's at the pool one day with our kids, our neighborhood pool, and uh, they're swimming. She's trying to get their energy out like many of you do during the summertime when your kids are rambunctious. So she's at the pool with our three kids. They're a lot smaller, of course, at the time. And she's watching them, and she's sitting on the edge watching them play. And she sees something that's kind of concerning to her. Like, they're, they're taking each other, they're holding each other under the water and not letting each other back up for a little bit. And then finally they let them back up, and, and she's wondering, are they okay? I mean, they're trying to drown each other, which is siblings, we, we kind of understand, right? <laughs> so she sees this happen, she's like, I'm not going to be judgmental, I'm just going to ask. And so she said, she walked over to him like, what are you guys doing? And one of our kids yelled out as loud as they could with all these people around, hey, we're just practicing baptizing each other here in the pool. <laughs> Only in the pastor's family does that kind of stuff happen in public, right? <laughs> they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were baptizing each other. Um, you ever played Battleship before? You know, there's that moment where you say, you sank my battleship. You know, what you could really say is you baptize my battleship. Because that's what baptism is. Baptism, the Greek word, means to immerse. It means to plunge. It means to, to put under. And so when we talk about that term, baptism, that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's what the Greek word really means. And we find this word over 100 times in the New Testament. And so that's what baptism is. That's just the definition of what it is. It's going underneath water and then, and then coming back up. But then there's another question we have to ask. Why? Why do we baptize? Why do we baptize here at The Journey? Why did nine students take that step and take that plunge this past Sunday evening? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons this morning why we baptize here at The Journey, and we see its importance importance in our our lives. There's on your notes here today. Uh, Reason number one is that Jesus modeled it. We already kind of talked about that, right? If we go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was perfect. He had no sin. John acknowledged this before he even, as Jesus is walking toward him. And here's Jesus who says, this is the step you've got to take, and I'm going to show you what this looks like. He didn't even say, I don't need to do this, but I'm just going to show you what it is. He's like, no, this is what needs to happen. 
And so Jesus first modeled it for us. The reason number two is Jesus commanded it. If we move forward about three years from this moment where Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter 28, we read these words, 19 and 20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here's Jesus who's going into heaven to be with God. And what does he tell his crew? Sit down. Stop. Hang out. Do whatever you want. No, he says go, right? He says go. And he says go into all the nations. And the first thing he says is baptize them. He says this is what you do. He commands his followers in that moment that your role, the Jesus mission, the purpose and the existence of a follower of Christ is to go into the world and to baptize others which hasn't changed in 2,000 years. That is still our goal and our purpose as followers of Christ. This is the steps that we take to help people take that step of, of baptism. So, so not only does Jesus model it, Jesus also commands it. But then the third reason is the early church lived it out. If we look at the book of Acts, we find the early church is beginning. And every single time somebody made a, a statement of, hey, I want to follow Christ. What do I need to do? The first thing they did, as one of the, the gentlemen in the, the video said, they took that step of baptism. And we find this with individuals, and we also find it with groups. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so this was the norm. If people were following Christ, they were on this spiritual journey. Their next step was, hey, we're going to be baptized. And so we, we look here, we've got these three reasons why we baptize here at the journey. But, but you may be sitting here this morning still asking another question. And it's actually the same question. But why? Right? I mean, Jesus modeled it and Jesus commanded it and the early church did it. But there's got to be something else to this. Why? Go back into the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, we find the Israelites are imprisoned uh, they are stuck in, in Egypt and they've been there for about 400 some years God jumps in and says hey I've got a leader for you and so he sends Moses and Moses brings them out of Egypt right and so he's bringing all these Israelites out of Egypt and, and he's taking them to this new place to this, this this land that is waiting for them as they're moving on this journey the Pharaoh says <laughs> this isn't working this isn't right. I've changed my mind. And so he sends his army out to go chase down the Israelites to bring them back to be slaves. Well, the Israelites, it's kind of like this climax of this whole story. They come up to this body of, river, body of water, the Red Sea. It's like, we're stuck. And what does God do? God parts the Red Sea. And the Israelites are able to walk through the parted water. By the way, this is sort of their baptism experience for them. They go to the other side, and what do they find? They find freedom. I mean, for the first time in generations, they find freedom. Why? God has left, led them from this place of slavery that they found themselves in through sort of this, this baptism experience. Then here they are all of a sudden. Now they are free. They've got this new life. That was their exodus moment. In the New Testament, we have Romans Paul writes Romans. We've talked quite a bit about Paul. And he's not really writing to a, a specific small group of people. It's kind of generic for many different people. But as he writes in the chapters of, I think, 5 through 8, 
he connects us back to the life of Moses and this Exodus experience that takes place. And, and he gives it a new perspective. He, he gives it a Christian perspective. And here's what we find in Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I think Paul is telling us this. Baptism is our exodus moment. That that's the same experience that we are getting that the Israelites had back in that day because we're enslaved. We're slaves to our own sin. We're, we're slaves to, to missing the mark. We're, we're slaves to being far from God. We're, we're slaves in our life. And yet through that moment of baptism, here's what happens. Freedom. We're free. We're free from our past. We're, we're free from our struggles. We're free from our sin. We're free from ourselves. And through that water experience, through that exodus moment, we experience that freedom that Christ brings for each one of us. It's that beginning of new life that we see here that Paul is talking about. That's what baptism represents. It represents that new life, that we're changed, that we're transformed. This is a new beginning, this new start, this outward expression of, of what's happening inside of us, the work that God's Spirit is doing in us. This new life is there for each one of us. Now, thinking about that for a moment, baptism is really this combination of our faith. We're at that place. We have this faith that, that we live out, and then we're adding this action to it. And we're saying, this is what this faith means to me, that I'm all in. I'm taking this step, and my action is through baptism. Again, this connects us to this brand new life. This exodus moment that God has created that opportunity for us through the life of Jesus. And so that's why we baptize. You may hear that and think, that sounds good. But I don't know about taking that step. I'm still kind of struggling with what that may look like. Let me share with you three struggles I think every one of us in here maybe at some point in time have experienced or or maybe you're in the midst of this right now, and this is why it's so hard for you to take that action with your faith and, and to take that step of baptism. The first struggle is your religious background. Your religious background. Uh, many of you in this room, you came out of a high church background, which, um, which means kind of a ritualistic type of uh, a church. Uh, maybe Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, Methodist. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. That's just the experience that, that you've had. My wife grew up in, in a Lutheran church for, for many years, and so that was kind of her experience. Again, much like you all here. But, but there's this, this question or this thing that you guys would do within your churches. Um, you were sprinkled, right? And I know many people here in this church, you were sprinkled as a child and maybe even as an adult. But, but the question that, that I want to ask this morning is sprinkling baptism. And some of you may be asking that question today, too. Let me give you some insights into that because we tend to use those words interchangeably, right? We're like, hey, we're talking about baptism. And some of us think, well, that's, I was sprinkled. That's the same thing. It's actually not. We don't find that word sprinkling anywhere in the New Testament. 
We, we talked last week, I believe it was, about the Greek word love. And we said, hey, when I talk about love, I'm talking about love my dog, I love my wife, I love my house, I love baseball. It's all the same, right? It's the same word. The Greek language isn't that way. There's specific words for love. Well, just like there are specific words for love, there's a specific word for sprinkling. There's a specific word for baptism. We never see that term for sprinkling in the New Testament anywhere. Every single time we talk about baptism or the Bible talks about baptism, every single time it is connected to this idea of immersion. And so that's part of the insights into the sprinkling itself. But I think there's something even bigger here. The churches that you may have grown up in, the denomination that you grew up in, even the leaders and founders of those organizations, guess what? Every single one of them says that immersion, that baptism is immersion. That, that sprinkling is sort of an afterthought. Let, let me read some of these to you. Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran Church. I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imparts. John Calvin, founder of the Presbyterian Church. The word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. The Catholic Dictionary says, In apostolic times, the body of the baptized person was immersed. For St. Paul looks on the immersion as typifying the burial with Christ and speaks of the baptism as a bath. So even groups that we've been a part of that, that may sprinkle, here we go, we go back and we look at the founders and we look at some of their teachings and their, their thought is, Immersion is the way to go. Now, where does sprinkling come in? From about 33 AD to about 150 AD, sprinkling wasn't even a thought. Um, it was all immersion. It was all baptism. That was the norm within people following Christ. Around 150 AD, we have this thing called the Didache. It is a, a Christian writing. And, and basically, people were trying to put some structure to what was happening within the church and, and some teachings that everybody could kind of hold on to. And so one of the things they added as they were writing this was, hey, being immersed is the right thing to do, the right step to take. However, however, you can also sprinkle if you want to. And so that began to, to take hold. Now, at the beginning, it was just sprinkling adults. Around 200 AD, that all changed. Uh, we find that there's the beginning of the sprinkling of, of children in those moments. And the reason was pretty simple. The infant mortality rate was about 50%. And so parents were worried about their kids. We won't go th theological here, but there was this idea of original sin, like you're born into sin. And so what happens if my child dies? I mean, these are real concerns for parents in that day, I mean, even for us too, right? And so there's this concern here. And so what they said is, hey, let's start to sprinkle children just to be on the safe side to get them to heaven if they pass away. And so now we have infant sprinkling that was thrown into the mix. And so over the course of a couple of thousand years, we have seen that adult sprinkling and children being sprinkled has become a norm within our, our culture, within our church culture. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, Chad's bashing sprinkling. <laughs> I am not, okay? I, I'm not bashing at all. Um, especially if you were a child and you were sprinkled. This is a, a decision that your parents made for you. They loved you enough. They, they felt strong enough in their faith to say, this is an important step for them. And, and so as a child, like my wife, growing up in a Lutheran church, you were sprinkled. You were sprinkled. It doesn't take away what your parents did for you in that moment. Now, here at The Journey, I get this question a lot. Do you guys sprinkle children? 
We don't sprinkle children. Uh, we do something called child dedications, which is a little bit different than that. Uh, we do child dedications usually right after Mother's Day, and it's an opportunity for you as a parent to say, hey, I'm taking on the responsibility to raise my child in a Christ-like home, and, and I want this church to support me in that. But for many of us in here, sprinkling has become a part of, or was a part of our, our faith background growing up. And so that's what we experienced. But it doesn't negate what took place. Here's the difference. Baptism is this next step that we take on our spiritual journey to new life. For us to be able to say as adults, this is where I was, and here's the freedom that I get through Christ. As a child, you don't get a chance to make that decision. As an adult, those are decisions that we can make. And so maybe for some of us in here, the struggle we have with baptism is our religious background. Which really leads us into this next one here. Struggle number two. Look at this one. Mom. Some of you are like, oh, that's actually true. Uh, let me describe what I'm talking about here. I grew up in the South, right? Very Southern rural area. And um, finished college. And my first job was in New Jersey. Not a very Southern area, okay? <laughs> Learned a lot really quickly living in New Jersey. One of the things that I did at the church there was about three or four years old. About 75% of our church had a Catholic background. And, uh, and so I, I taught the baptism class. And I'd be having these conversations. We talk about baptism at the end. You know, we, we talk about, hey, you know, do you want to take this step? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great, but I, I don't feel like I can. And, and I would ask these people, and here's the crazy part. Um, because the people who struggled with baptism more than anybody else were men. And it wasn't because they were macho. It's because in the conversation we would have, hey, are you ready to take this step? Yeah, but I can't. I'm like, what do you mean? They would say, this would really hurt my mom if I took this step. I'm like, dude, you are 55 years old. I think you can take this step. You're an adult now, buddy. Some of them are like, but you don't know my mom. And there's truth in that. I didn't know their mom. But this holds back a lot of people. And again, depending on your church background, especially if you come out of a Catholic background, mom's pretty powerful in the family, right? And I know there can be that struggle there with moms and, and family members and your dad or maybe friends are like, you shouldn't do this. You've, you've already taken this step. No, your parents took that step for you. And now it's your turn to take that step, to be able to say, well, here's even better. Don't tell mom you're getting baptized. That's what I say. <laughs> if she doesn't know, you're fine. It's an opportunity for you to say, thank you for what you did in the past. I'm who I am today because of you. You've helped me on the spiritual journey, but this is my next step. And again, I know some people struggle because of mom. Now, the struggle number three is the biggest issue, I think, though. It's pride. Now, pride is the biggest issue any of us have in any, any part of our life. Why do you think people struggle with volunteering? It's because of pride. Why do we struggle to give? It's because of, of pride. Why do we struggle to love the unlovely? Because of pride. Why do we struggle to love people that are so different than us? It's because of pride. Why do we struggle to love and follow Jesus? It's because of, of pride. Why do we struggle to take this next step of baptism? Pride. I've got it all taken care of. I, I'm in control. I know what's right for me. That is pride that is talking in our life over and over again and it gets in the way of our spiritual journey not just in baptism but every step that we take but specifically when it comes to something like baptism 
our pride gets in the way and maybe holding us back from escaping the slavery that we find ourselves in. Jesus says, there's freedom for you. This is what it looks like to take these steps to be free from your past, to be free from your choices, to be free from, from who you are. All you've got to do is take this next step in your spiritual journey. And I'm going to show you what true freedom looks like. I'm going to show you what this new life is like. For many of us, we want, we want the benefits without the commitment. Uh, I've got two teenage daughters and uh, hopefully in about 20 to 30 years, some gentlemen are going to come up to me. <laughs> I'm hoping that's on the low end. They're going to come up to me and say, um, hey, Mr. Simpkins, because that's the right way to address me. <laughs> Mr. Simpkins, um, I love your daughter. Uh, she's wonderful. We laugh together. We have a great time. Uh, we have fun. Uh, I think she's the one for me. I, I want to ask your permission if I can marry her. And it's going to be rough on that guy because I got an application. I want to know financial portfolio. <laughs> Some of you have top secret clearance. I hope we're still friends. I'm like, hey, can you check on this person for me? <laughs> Years to come up with this decision. But at some point in time, if, if, if everything's okay, I'm going to say, sure. Yep, you can, you can take the step. And it's hard for me to say that because I know there's going to be a lot of fear in that. If this same guy come up to me, and actually we'll just call him a boy at this point. And this boy comes up to me. <laughs> It says, hey, I love your daughter. She's great. She's wonderful. I want to spend my life with her. But I want to ask for your permission not to marry her, but to live with her. Better be in one of those places where nothing around I can grab quickly because <laughs> it would be ugly. What is that? That's benefits without the commitment. For many of us, we struggle with that. We want the benefits of, of following Jesus. We just don't want to make that commitment. Because that's what it is. When we, when we move from slavery to freedom, we're saying, I'm committed to this. I, I want to take this step. It's not about just belonging to, to something. If you are baptized, you don't belong to the Journey Church. You belong to Christ, which is way more important. So my invitation is for us to take that step, to move from slavery to have that exodus moment through baptism, through what we call that watery grave, to come back to life out of that water, the very symbol of what Jesus did for us, dying and coming back to life so that we can be free. And here's what I'm inviting you into. On Easter Sunday, we're having baptism day here, and we're inviting you to take that step. My question is, as adults, are you willing to do, are you committed to do what nine teenage students did last week. I look at them, and many times we look down on those that are younger, don't we? Like, we got it all figured out. Some of us don't. They do. And they took that huge step to say, I want to be free. Are we willing to take that same step? I'm going to invite you to do this today. If that's something you've been thinking about, you've got questions about, you want to take that step, you want to get baptized, on your connection card that's in the seat in front of you, would you fill that out? There's a mark there that says, I, I want to be baptized. Would you just mark that? Give us your information. What we'll do this week, we're going to call you. We'll just have a conversation. You don't have to take that step right now. Let's just talk through that. My prayer for the 2019 has been that more people would take the step of baptism. Not because I'm trying to pad numbers and I would tell my buddies, hey, we baptize all these people. I don't want to, that, that's not it. That means more people who are out of slavery and free in Christ. 
And I know we've got a lot of people in this church that are looking for that and need to take that step. Are you one of them? So I invite you to do that, to fill that out. You can put it in the connection or the, the offering boxes as we finish up today. We'll contact you this week. We'll have that conversation. I want you to be free because it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Be like these teenagers. Take that step and let God lead you forward.